The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Well, uh, happy Father's Day. How many dads do we have in the, in the house today? Amen. So I have, a, uh, I have a gift today. Actually, we have gifts for all of the men after church, an ice-cold dad's root beer on the way out. But um, we have, I have a good friend that owns Shop Local Kentucky. How many of y'all have a Shop Local Kentucky shirt? Nobody? Really? All right, so these are everywhere, but this is a cool one I thought I picked up at the Beer Cheese Festival. Rad Kentucky Dad. All right, so I need somebody who, who would like a Rad Kentucky Dad t-shirt. Lift your hand. Okay, Connor. Joe, you're the first man that I saw. Come, come up. Connor, you, I hope, are not a rad Kentucky dad. There you go, brother. Yeah. How many are excited for ice-cold root beer after service? <laughs> That's all right, isn't it? Well, it's good to have my father with us today. Um, I called him and said, Dad, for Father's Day, would you come hear me preach? <laughs> and uh, I'm so grateful for him. You know, one of the things growing up that I, I so appreciate, Dad, that something that he imparted to me, it wasn't wisdom. <laughs> it was humor. And actually, there's wisdom in humor. And uh, you, you know what? One of the greatest gifts my dad gave me was is that he taught me to laugh often. And I, I, my laughter, my sense of humor has really gotten me through a a, a lot of things in life, especially ministry. <laughs> Sometimes you can't do anything but just laugh or else you will cry. Amen? And uh, so I, I'm thankful to have him here today. Um, I want to talk to you today about what I believe we need most in our, our churches, in our, in, in our country right now. You know, we like to blame the politicians for everything that goes wrong, Right? I don't care if it's Obama in office or Trump or Clinton or Bush or whoever. We like to point our finger at the fingers of the government, right? But, but you know what I think the real issue with our country is? We have a lack of godly men and women. But I, I think one of the greatest things we need in America today and around our world is godly men. All right? So over the next several minutes, I want to unpack what it means to be a real man, all right? The Internet, as you probably know, has much to say on the subject of manliness. Most of it is inappropriate, so I cannot share it from the pulpit, but here are a few of the G-rated ideas that I found on the website. There's a, there's a site called Elite Daily that surveyed several women asking what they see as the characteristics of real men. So here you go. Here's some unique answers. One says, real men think about their mothers, worry about their mothers, and are grateful for their mothers. And all the mamas said, all right, real men, I don't know about this one, do not take selfies. There goes my man card. The occasional ludicrous Snapchat, of course, being an exception. Real men have at least two or three dishes they can cook well just in case they need to impress you. One woman on the site said, Real men spend time putting themselves together, but never more than you. I've lost my man card again. 
Come on, can I get a witness? I'm telling the truth. Hey, she just wakes up pretty, folks. Ah, there you go. It's going to be a good day for me. Real men do not make fun of other guys to boost their own self-confidence, but they can make fun of themselves. Real men never tell the waiter or waitress, we're all set, when asked about dessert without consulting you. They look at you for the cue. Real men have goals. They might seem lofty or complicated or absurd, but they're working towards something, and that's what matters. And then there are two more serious attributes that are widely associated with manliness in our culture, namely skills, especially handyman skills, and physicality. So I want you to first picture MacGyver. How many of you all remember MacGyver? Like he can fix anything with a match or a pack of chewing gum, right? Like real men can fix things. That's what our culture tells us. Real men can tie 20 different types of knots. They can survive in the wilderness for uh, weeks with nothing but the clothes on their back. Real men can build things. You know, many believe that real men have to have this narrow set of skills. And if this is the case, again, my quest for manhood sadly is over. So I ask you, if that's true, what about computer technicians, artists, preachers? Come on, somebody. Theologians, musicians who maybe aren't as gifted with working with their hands. Should they just, or should we, I should say, just write off manliness because of a different skill set? Well, you might remember in Genesis, there's a man by the name of Esau who was a very skilled man. He was a hunter, kind of an outdoors guy. But he sure wasn't a great example of manhood. He was indifferent when it came to his birthright, was not a man of wisdom. So what this tells me is that skills are helpful, those are great, but don't necessarily equate to manhood. And then you have this other popular characteristic associated with manliness, and that is physical strength. So you go from MacGyver now to Chuck Norris. Come on, somebody. I do believe that men should take care of their bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I do believe, by the way, that men should act like men. They should shake hands like men and talk like men and dress like men. But I don't think that physicality or necessarily athleticism equates again to manliness. Nor do I think that a lack of those traits preclude manliness. So when I think of manliness, often I think of of my grandfather. In his younger years, he was strong and he could build anything. I remember I worked at Contech, a factory in Winchester, and I had a man come up to me. He found out that that who my grandfather was, and he said, "Man, he said you are so blessed to have him as a grandfather." He said, "I wish I had a quarter of his knowledge in the field of hydraulics. My grandfather could fix anything." But it's interesting, today he's now in his 80s, and he gets around okay, but he's kind of frail, a bit weak, if you will. But you know he's still more manly than about anyone I know? Why? Because his manliness does not come from his skill set. It comes instead from within. It has always flowed from godliness, from faithfulness to his wife, from respect, from discipline, from work ethic, from his integrity. And though he was strong and skilled in some ways, those attributes did not make him a man. His character did. And so 
there are many helpful suggestions for manliness on the internet. There's even a podcast called The Art of Manliness. But I believe that we're really misguided. Because the best way to learn how to be a real man is to go to the Bible, to the words of the one who created men and women. Amen? Going to the the words of our Creator. And so I want to do that today, and I would invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God, Psalm chapter 1. We're going to look, look at what God says about true manhood. Psalm chapter 1. Be reading from the English Standard Standard Version, and it says in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but like chaff that the wind drives away and therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to quickly give you, if you're taking notes, three qualities of real men according to the Bible. This is really good news. That means no matter what your your size or shape or skill set, you can be a real man. Three qualities of real men according to the Bible. Number one, real men are content. Real men are content. Now get that from verses 1 and 2. Psalm 1 gives us a really stark contrast between the way of blessing and the way of judgment. The way of blessing, it's clear, is to love God, obey the Word of God. And the way of judgment is to rebel against God, the things of God. And the psalm begins with this popular, familiar word, blessed. Or blessed. And in English transliterated form, the Hebrew word here is the word esher, and it means happiness or blessedness. Now, in this word, you find this connotation of contentment or a deep satisfaction. Happy is the man, content is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Satisfied is that man. So this tells me that real godly men are content. Why? Because they delight in the law of the Lord. So your happiness, your blessedness is steadfast, church. When, because why? Because God is unchanging. He is steady. He is steadfast. So when your delight is in the Lord, your happiness is not up and down, up and down, up and down. No, it's constant because he's the delight of your heart. See, if your treasure is money, when you have money, you might be a little happy. But when you don't have it, you'll be depressed. If your treasure is a relationship, your highest treasure, 
When the relationship is going well, you're going to be happy. When it's not, not so happy. So you have to, you have to remember that Christ has to be our treasure. That's the only key to being content in this world that is so insatiable. Real men are content. They love the Word of God that is unchanging. They meditate on it day and night. So what does this have to do with manliness? Well, see, ungodly men will move from woman to woman, work ungodly hours, will be a poor manager of finances because they're never, ever content. They're always looking for the next best thing. But real men don't need to trade a wife then for a younger model. Amen? Real men don't need a new boat, the biggest house, the nicest car to feel like a man because their delight is in the Lord. A real man doesn't need to buy things that he doesn't need at a price he can't afford to impress people he doesn't even like anyways. Real men are content. One of my favorite scriptures you can turn here with me if you want. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writing to his apprentice Timothy, and he says this in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You ought to just underline that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, okay, he says, with these things we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Here's what I want you to understand, that real men are not lovers of money and material things. They, friends, are lovers of God. And Jesus made it clear, you cannot have two masters. This is what so many in American, the American church are trying to live for. They're trying to say, oh yeah, I love Jesus, but they're still in love with the things of this world. It's evident by just watching them as to what's important to them. In his book, The Blessing of Enough, Rabbi Shmuley Botik writes this, quote, Most people in this life are spiritually satisfied and materially hungry. But he says the secret of the blessed life is precisely the reverse, to always be materially content and spiritually hungry End quote. Folks, real men seek the Lord. They love the Lord. They're obedient to the Lord. They treasure Him above all things. So I want you to, to get that. There. Men are, real men are materially satisfied and spiritually hungry. Real men are materially satisfied and spiritually hungry. But isn't it the opposite most of the time in our world? You see a spiritual complacency, but such a material hunger. Real men are content. Number two, real men are courageous. Real men are courageous. We went camping, the men of our church, this weekend, and my mother calls me on Wednesday. This past Wednesday, she says, Chris, I just want you to know 
I know you're going to Cave Run for this men's camping trip, and they have spotted bears. (laughs) They've spotted bears. And I thought, okay, thanks, Mom. And so my my boys are with me, and the the three of us are in a tent. In about midnight, you know how it is, we hear something. And how many know at midnight when it's pitch black out and your mother has called you and told you there's bears, a firefly sounds like a bear to you. But this actually sounded like a bear. Now, my son Dylan, my oldest, he can sleep through anything. But at midnight, my younger son, Connor's in the middle between Dylan and I, and, uh, and, and he, he looks at me and I look at him and he says, Dad, do you hear that? And there's a rustling in the woods right behind us. And, folks, it sounds like a bear. And I'm thinking, dear Lord Jesus, <laughs> what do I do? All I have is the crane kick. You all know me. I don't know if that works on bears or not. Right? So, so I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so we're just quiet. And so we hear it. And then all of a sudden we hear something on the picnic table. And it's going through. Now, we know better than to leave, like, open food out. So we put all that in the vehicles, but we had some individual chip bags and some cookies that were never been open sitting on the the picnic table. All right. And all of a sudden we start hearing those kind of making noise. We could tell something, something was in the chips. And then we heard something munching and this went on. And, And you know, you think sometimes if you're just still for a while, it'll go away. Folks, it didn't go away. This went on from midnight to three in the morning. All right. So a little bit of time goes on, so it's now about 12.30, and, and we're thinking, this isn't going away. And uh, so Connor says, hey, Dad, you open your little window. And uh, I said, Connor, you're young. Go out there. <laughs> see what it now. He said, Dad, open the window. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the, the door, and I'm going to stick the flashlight out and see if you can see what it is. And I open it up, and it's a raccoon. And it's opening individual chip bags. It's pouncing on it until it busts in. And so we try to scare it off, and it, it makes some sound at us, and it, it takes off, and it comes back again till 3 in the morning. We get up the next morning, and there are just chip bags all down the side you know, of, of the road there. And, and we have one bag of chips left out of a whole box and four things of cookies out of an entire box. It, it opened every one of those bags. And I'm laying in my tent as I go, try to go back to sleep during all this, and I thought, you know what? I'm not scared of bears. I'm not scared of bears because I can outrun at least a couple of the guys in our camp. <laughs> right? So I'm all right. I'm all right. But you know what? I believe this, that real men are courageous. The Bible is full of men who exemplify great courage. You know, it took Noah great courage to build the ark, didn't it? What do you mean it's going to flood? How he's mocked and took great faith for him to do that. It took courage for Abraham to leave all that he had known to follow the will of God. It took courage for Moses to stand before Pharaoh and lead the people out of Egypt. It took courage for Daniel to continue to pray even when facing harsh punishment. It took Joshua great courage to lead the people into Canaan and take hold of the land. It took courage for David to stand against the great Goliath. It took courage for Isaiah to speak the difficult truth of prophecy before Israel. It took courage for the disciples 
to risk their lives by continuing to preach, knowing the hatred against the message of Jesus Christ, knowing that their lives were at risk. It took courage for Jesus to walk in obedience all the way to Calvary, knowing the agony that he was about to face. And the Bible is full of courageous men. And I think men should demonstrate this type of courage. But I see a different aspect of courage in our text today, a different aspect that I believe we need as well. I believe this is even tougher. I want you to look at verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Friends, most of the world is walking in the counsel in the steps of the wicked. That's the wide path. That's the comfortable path. That's the path where people will not mess with you. And then in verse 2, but his delight, the blessed man, is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. That's not popular today, is it? Real men are courageous enough to live in contrast to the ungodly cultural norms of the world. Why don't you think through this for a moment? Think about our world today. What do you do when the popular majority wants to redefine marriage? What do you do when God's design for gender is thrown by the wayside? What do you do when the majority rejects purity and righteousness? Do you respond by conforming to postmodernism? No. Real men don't go around looking for a fight and picketing everywhere they go, but they have convictions and they live by those convictions no matter who likes it or not. Doesn't matter. Folks, this takes courage. Let me ask you this. What do you do at work? When everybody else is living in opposition to the Word of God, do you act like them? Do you talk like them? Do you go where they go? It's hard not to, isn't it? It's hard to stand and live for the Lord when everybody else around us is not living in that way. What do you do when the people around you, even in your own family, do not line up with the word of the Lord. Do you act just like them because, ah, you know, I don't want them to be upset with me. I don't want them to, to think I'm holier than thou kind of thing. No. You live by your convictions, not with your nose up in the air like you're better than everybody else. But do you know this is one of the ways that you preach the gospel to other people? It's by the way that you live at home, at work, when you're in the supermarket, when you're around ungodly people when the when you're let me just give you a really silly example when you're in the checkout line at a grocery store and everybody is frust else is frustrated with the cashier because she's not going or he's not going quick enough and you and everybody's complaining and fussing and why don't they open another line and this that and the other you know how people do but you're just patient and you're kind and you show kindness that, that cashier may look at you and say, why are you so nice? And you get an opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. You know, I told you when I worked for um, Valvoline, and I was in that com computer department, I was one of two Christians in that entire department. And I got so many opportunities to share 
because of the way I lived. I didn't go around judging them for what they did, but I just, I wasn't perfect, but I lived my life in a way that was different than them, and they took notice. The reason a lot of people don't want anything to do with church is because they see us in the workplace. They see us outside of church, and we're not any different than them, and they say, why, why do I need to do that? We must live in opposition from the world. We must live in a way that's God-glorifying. And friends, this is a narrow way. It's not an easy road because you will be called a hater, a bigot, when you stand up for biblical values. But so be it because, friends, I would rather have the applause of God anyways than the applause of men. Are you with me? We need men who will stand up for the truth. I remember talking about my, my grandfather. He was at a, he, he, they talked him into going to a, a ball game, um, after a baseball game one day, and he was just a man that, that he, he didn't drink, and um, they, they were pressuring him. He was the only one not drinking. And see, when people are out doing whatever, they, they want you to be right there in there with them, right? They hate it when somebody's not doing what they're doing. And, and they just said, uh, hey, why don't you have a drink? You know what? No, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you having a drink. That's just something for me. It's a personal conviction, and I'm not going to have a drink. And uh, they said, you can drink it or you can wear it. And uh, he stood up against them, and he said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drinking. And I don't think they poured it on him or, <laughs> or they lived, didn't live to tell about it at least. But, but you know, I, I, I just, I, one of the things I so appreciated about him, he, he worked in factories with some really rough people, but he stood by his convictions. We need to have that type of courage. Number three, real men are consistent. Real men are consistent. Verse three, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Folks, real men are planted. They're not moved by seasons of adversity. They're not moved by the changing of the wind. That They are men of faith, unmovable, unstoppable. See, a healthy tree is planted. It has roots that go deep. One of the worst things you can do for a tree is to just keep moving it from place to place where it cannot get roots down. And you know, I've met so many men who are one week on fire, ready to win the world for Jesus. And then the next week, they're ready to live just like the world. And every Sunday, they're ready to win the world for Jesus. And every Monday, oh, it's just back to life as normal. Friends, that's not a man of God. Real men are consistent. They're firmly planted. They're grounded in what they believe and why they believe it. They aren't in and out of church. I want to just talk about my, my grandfather one more time. The thing that I appreciated about him, him most, probably in, in all the years, my, my grandfather is an introvert. He's never lived a loud life. He's, I've never known him to lead 10,000 people to the Lord. I've never heard him preach. I've never, um, but one of the things that I love best about him and the way he lived and, and still lives is just the consistency. I remember as a kid, every morning, he got up for work very early, but I just remember in the mornings if I was up, I'd always see him with his Bible in a, that little devotional, the daily bread. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Just consistent. 
on the weekends when my grandmother would be up, they'd have their hands together and they would pray and they would do their devotion together. Saw my grandfather every week. If I was at his house over the weekend, we were in church. I saw him with Bible in hand. I always loved that. Just saw him over the years um, be consistent. He, he loved my grandmother, still loves her to this day. Just never worried about a thing, uh, another woman. He just loved her consistently, just consistent. Never loud, just consistent. Kind, just consistent. Never loud, just consistent. And I thought, man, that's what, that's what I want to emulate. Because life is not about these big moments necessarily. Life is about the little things you do every day. I'm, I'm not looking for my children to, to one day say, uh, my dad, you know, preached this great revival. Not against that. Or my dad, I don't want them to remember those big moments. I, my, my son, he was actually putting me down, but uh, he gave me the best compliment. Um, I'm going to throw him under the bus here. Connor says to me the other day, or he says to his mom, all dad does is read. Well, son, there's a lot worse things your dad could be doing. <laughs> right? That's something, I, I've, I've often got a Bible in my hand or a Christian book in my hand. And those are the things I want Connor my, and, and Dylan to remember. I've made some big mess-ups over the years. My life is not defined by those huge mistakes, nor is it defined by the huge victories. It's just the everyday things. I want them to grow up and something I'm working on with, you know, just with being faithful where they can see, see me in the little things and how I treat my wife and how I treat them and just consistency. Real men are consistent. There's this pressure for you to do something grand. And if, if God wants you to do that, so be it. But there's this pressure that, that's not in the Bible. It's that, that our society puts on you that you have to look like a superhero. You've got to be a superhero. Men, just emulate Jesus. Just love God. Just treasure Jesus Christ. Be humble. Be meek. Be holy. That's what your wife needs. That's what your children need. And whether you're a father or not, that's what our country needs. Consistent men. I'll close with a quote from Paul Tripp. He writes this, The quest for true manhood ultimately drives us to the cross of Jesus Christ. We run to Jesus not just as the ultimate example of what it looks like to be a man, but more importantly, as our Savior. Here's the bottom line. As a man... I don't just need to be rescued from the pressures, deficiencies, prejudices, and imbalances of the surrounding culture. No. I need to be rescued from sin, from myself. Men, don't miss this. He writes, it's, a humbling, it's humbling to note that the greatest danger to any man exists inside of him, not on the outside of him. Sin makes me willing to be less than the man God designed me to be. And for that... I need forgiveness and transforming grace. The next generation of men need to be challenged to be real men, but more than anything, they need to be introduced to the Savior who alone can make that possible. End quote. How do you get your man card? How do you keep your man card? How do you become a real man? You run humbly to the cross. 
the arms of the only one who can make it happen, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what manhood is about. It's about treasuring Christ. And men, it is so difficult in the world today because there's this pressure to keep up with the Joneses, right? There's this pressure to live like everybody else and to conform to the world. But what's Paul say? Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we're to be as real men. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.